Sponsor SixConnect automates network provisioning in a DevOps-friendly way. SixConnect's ProVision platform delivers workflows, resource management, DNS and DHCP controllers, IPAM, and more, all with an API-first mentality. Find out more about SixConnect's ProVision at sixconnect.com with the number six slash packet. That's sixconnect.com with the number six slash packet. Welcome to the IPv6 Buzz podcast, where we dare to dive into the 128-bit address space wormhole. Quick reminder, there's sponsorship opportunities available for IPv6 Buzz and the other Packet Pusher podcast shows. If you're interested, you can go to packetpushers.net slash sponsorship for details. And if you got something cool working with v6, we want to hear from you. So join us on the IPv6 Buzz. Uh, we want to hear all about what you got working and why it's cool. I'm Ed Horley with my co-host, Tom Coffey and Scott Hogue. And today we're going to be talking about IPv6 adoption in general since we're right close to the 10th anniversary of the World IPv6 launch. But we also have two special guests with us today from the Packet Pushers. We got Greg Farrell and Ethan Banks. Hey, gents, welcome to the show. Hey, well done on 100 shows, guys. I don't know how hard it is, right? <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a big deal. It yeah, is. It's very, it's very, very cool. So yeah. I, don't, I don't know. I mean, that's that was one of the things we wanted to talk about. What does it take to get to 100 shows? <laughs> Oh, you have to record 100 shows, you have to edit 100 shows, you have to publish 100 shows, but you also have to find 100 guests and 100 topics and, you know, all that stuff. It's 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 a real achievement. Yeah, we didn't even think that there was going to be 100 topics to talk about around V6, to be honest. I mean, when we first got uh -huh. this and kicked off the ground, we were like, ah, we'll just talk about a few things here and there and publish uh -huh. shows occasionally. And you guys are like, no, you need to do a cadence on a regular <laughs> on a regular basis to get a show up. <laughs> You guys have been getting a lot of listener questions coming in that have driven a lot of show topics, haven't you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we really have. Yeah, that's been great. I mean, it's really cool to see what people out there do, you know, attempting to do with V6 and where they're running into issues and stuff that they're just curious about. And that's really exciting. I wouldn't mm. have thought, well, there's enough topics to talk about IPv6, but it's like, it's like doing a show on IPv4. You know, what could you talk about about before? You know, it touches everything in the IT universe. So, you know, there's lots of uh, adjacent and yeah. auxiliary topics to cover. Well, let me come back to the podcasting just to give you some sense of how successful the show has been. Uh, for out of all the podcasts that start in the world, something like 150,000 podcasts are started every year. And to get to 100 shows puts you in the top 3% of podcasts globally. And the download stats that you have, which is something in the order of 25,000 downloads a month, I think, um, puts you in the top 5% of podcasts in the world. So what happens with podcasting generally is that people start podcasts but don't continue with them uh, or they don't get sufficient audience. And the, your actual ability to get 5,000 downloads an episode, which is rough, you know, you're in excess of that, puts you right up there in sort of like the top three, four, five percent of podcasts in the world. So you, you have plenty of reasons to be seen as successful and perceived as running a very successful podcast on in a global basis. That's yeah, cool. well, I didn't know those. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had no, we had no clue. We, yeah. ju we just, we just gab and talk about V6 and think that's good enough for 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 the audience, which hopefully it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, for, 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 you know, five to 8,000 people every, every show that, that is absolutely true. You know, I think the show has about 10 to 12,000 subscribers on the feeds, um, out of a, you know, part of, as, and part of the packet pushes network, it's actually much larger, but I'm trying to just narrow it down, but just give you a sense of how successful you've been over the last, uh, what is it? Three, three, four years. 
Yeah, it's it's been it's been uh, mm. it's been what 2018 was when we mm-hmm. started. I think it was January. Mm. It was or sorry, June 6, 2018. I think was when the first show came out. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So you know, just to give you an idea, you know, you are on the global stage for podcasting and somewhere in the top, you know, few percentiles. So lots of reasons to be proud of what you've achieved here and and uh, and how how much. I, I, I still don't. I still don't think anyone's going to be impressed at the bar, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, we have to thank our listeners because they it's tough to do a show on IPv6 versus you know with just audio. They can't see our gestures where we're drawing a packet header, an extension header in the air. You know, they can't see a diagram. They have to just use their imagination to imagine, you know, a destination address in a field in a in a format of a header. You know, um, so hats off to our listeners for imagining with us. <laughs> And people should know um, that if they ever want to give you feedback, they can head over to packetpushes.net slash FU and leave some follow-up. So if they've got questions they want to ask you or um, topics that they'd like to see covered, or if they want some, you know, to get in contact with you as hosts, um, FU is where you can tell us what you think. And uh, we don't track you or anything like that. It's just a, a form that you fill out that comes to us. And then we say, you know, if you give us your email address, that's great, but you don't have to. Uh, and then we'll pass the, you know, we'll make sure that you know, the guys get a hold of those those questions and those, that input that you want to make. I get that yeah. Slack message from Ethan that says, hey, guys. Here's the questions we have from the listeners. <laughs> we really pay attention to those because we want to know if you're struggling with getting something configured. Are you like, how should I architect this? There's like three different options. What are the choices? Or hey, I ran into a problem with some something, and how do we go about solving it? Because we did mm-hmm. a show recently about troubleshooting methodologies. So you know, we love hearing problems, issues struggles, design choices. Around IPv6, we want to be clear. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I've been, I've been tracking the recent um, IPv6 header extensions and Mm -hmm. how they've been talking about, you know, obviously that's impractical um, part of the IPv6 standard. And now the standards, the ITF is now having a discussion around how you transition to have that header extension technology and i'd be interested you know if you've got questions about that you could ask you know at, and hit the follow-up page and ask the question about what's the process look like in the standards of bodies because you guys are tracking that quite closely i believe mm-hmm. yeah. yeah definitely there was a bunch of talks recently at ietf uh, 113 uh, we had a great show with jeff houston talking mm-hmm. about uh, extension headers and you know some challenges for ipv6 on the internet yeah yeah and we've been we've been tracking and participating in some of the itf stuff in regards to like ula that's a big one so if you if you follow the v6 ops list right now you'll see a bunch of conversation about that so definitely been keeping track of that um i i have a question for 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 greg and ethan maybe because you know you guys have over the arc of how long you guys have been podcasting now you've gotten to talk to a lot of vendors and a lot of manufacturers over the years right i mean it's just one of the things that you just had the i guess maybe the privilege or the or the uh, the downfall of doing one way or the other, depending on how you look at it. But have you guys seen V6 change as a technology topic within the last few years in terms of discussion, or is it still sort of in terms of the mainstream vendor community, just sort of like, hey, yeah, we we ask about it. It's just always been something we've asked about, but it's not anything that anyone is actually trying to differentiate on, on technology-wise. And it feels like there's been a little bit of a shift within the last few years, at least for us, in terms of what we've, we've been seeing, but I don't know what your guys' 
impression has been in terms of the industry. So sort of curious. More often we get the answer to the question, what's your IPv6 support like? More often we get the answer that there is IPv6 support and it's, it's pretty thorough. For a long time, the answer to that question was, no one's asking us for it, so we don't care. And you know, their IPv6 support was, was minimal of everything, if anything. So more and more now it's, yeah, we have full IPv6 support. And then you probe in a little bit. Well, what do you mean? Just data plane or control plane too? Oh, control plane, data plane and management plane. Yeah. Hmm. But not always. There's still that, there's still a, there's still a gap, right? Uh, but but it does seem to be taken more and more seriously. The one thing I noticed where, you know, that they may have crossed the, the chasm in terms of supporting IPv6 across the data management control plane, and it's like, oh, bully for you. And that's really the, the trifecta that we've been waiting for all these years. But then, strangely enough, um, it, this seems to be an oversight where you look at their documentation or sort of how they're, you know, promoting operational models to, you know, to get the gear working in, in the environment or, and, and V6 still seems to be sort of a second class citizen, you know, V6 not included in, in operational documentation examples or, you know, just really not acknowledging that there's an operational practice around IPv6 for, for whatever that particular feature is in that, that product set. Yeah, or you'll see a diagram with FC00, oh. <laughs> colon, colon, slash 16, and you're like, no, no. <laughs> well, I think, I think there's, a, there's been a substantial shift over the last two years to focusing on operations. So, you know, five or six years ago, we were talking about SDN in terms of how quickly, how it changed um, the buying. And then pretty quickly, we started talking about things like how quickly SDN changed the deployment, you know, zero touch configuration. You just put the put the switch down and it automatically configures. And SD-WAN was also the same. The first phases of the SD-WAN selling cycle was all about how quickly you could roll it out. And over the last, say, two years, we've really seen the shift to how easy it is to operate asset management, mm -hmm. integrated visibility, integrated monitoring. And to some extent, the, the decision around IPv6 support has now become part of the operations. And I'm kind of hopeful that as SDN takes, you know, the software, using software to configure networks, the IPv6 thing becomes a lot easier if you're using software to configure your EVPN in the data center. Or if you're configuring SD-WAN, the IPv6 is kind of, taken care of by the operational platform, by the software. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, Greg, I'm so glad you said that because for us, mm -hmm. we we really believe that automation at scale is really how you should be deploying IPv6 anyway. And using tools like config management tools or you know orchestration platforms, et cetera, to actually do your v6 deployment makes an incredible amount of sense mm -hmm. uh, for, for just you know practical reasons of like, you want to be adopting these sets of technologies anyway, and you can use mm -hmm. V6 to be able to get there as one of the project initiatives to actually help you improve your network, switch over, adopt the protocol, do it in a safe manner, have rollback capabilities, like all the things that you actually want that you're actually fearful of having mm -hmm. operators go in and touch and do on a regular basis. Obviously you still have to lab, you still have to test, you still have to validate, but the reality is there's no reason that you have to get you know, us crazy monkeys at three in the morning, typing on the keyboard to try and see if we can get it to work. <laughs> and, and I think that's that's the big plus. And I think that's that's actually a timing thing for V6 that actually is working in its favor uh, mm. in terms of uh, enterprises being able to adopt it. Um, yeah, can't agree more. Mm. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, you know, you guys have, if, and at least this, this is my humble opinion, but mm. you guys have pretty much changed a lot of stuff in the industry around, around the podcasting side and sharing information out there. 
I mean, I, I discovered you guys a, a long time ago now. I'm not going to mention yeah. how long, but it was pretty early in the cycle. And, uh, and then got the great fortune of being able to meet both of you through, <laughs> you know, Tech Field Day and a bunch of other stuff. And you guys, strangely enough, were willing to talk to me. So, so that, uh, yeah, <laughs> shame on you guys. But either way, I mean, you, you guys have had a lot of impact, I think, on the industry in terms of just getting podcasts and shows out there and introducing topics. And, um, and I think, uh, I, I don't know if you felt sort of, um, has podcasting changed how people buy and sell products and how they use them today? Because I think that that impacts, you know, I don't know if our show is impacting how people are thinking about buying and selling products, but I'm sort of curious about how, how you guys feel about it. If there's a different buying cycle based off of, you know, not to, not to toot your own horns, but do you feel like there's a change in the industry based off of, you know, just the plethora of podcasts and other information that's out there now? Uh, versus versus maybe prior. Um, that's a really difficult question because the buying process and why people buy is different. A lot of the time, like it's not as it's not well, like is, twenty years mm -hmm. ago, everybody bought the same thing in much the same way. We could all define what you were going to buy. Like I'm going to exactly. buy a twenty four port camper switch, you know, or a forty eight port yeah. data center switch. Whereas now it's a much more complex decision because. You know, if you're running VMware, are you running containers? Are you are you planning to run some stuff in an off-premise cloud? Are you going to go into a colo and try and straddle, you know, own data centers and non-owned? I think the whole networking thing is much more complicated mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. But it's and, not just it's not just architecturally complicated, Greg. I think mm -hmm. if you want to point at podcasting and and blogs and just the rich information ecosystem that's out there. What's happened is people that have chosen to tune in and pay attention to what's going on, all of a sudden are aware of a lot more choices than they were aware of 20 years ago. 20 years ago, if you were buying networking equipment, you bought Cisco and anything else is like, mm, I could try it because it's cheaper, but it probably sucks. And so you wouldn't even really consider it. <laughs> right. Now people understand that there are a lot of choices out there um, that fit into solving very specific problems depending on what their scenario is. And, and, and so it's not just that, that architectural complexity that you're outlining, Greg, I think, but then there's also this awareness. There's a lot of vendors you can take very seriously and build robust uh, relationships with, even if you're a global company. And it's not just, you know, one or two or three names out there that you go hmm. to as a supplier. My observation has been that you guys have opened up the ecosystem for people to discover a lot more vendors and, and and a lot more you know architectural design philosophies than versus the maybe the big two <laughs> yeah. or big three that, that are espoused out there and it just it seems to have opened up the field for a lot more innovation and competition in in many ways and i think that's it's been a maybe it's a i don't know if it's a virtuous cycle but it sure seems like there's a whole you know sector of folks that are that are getting interesting companies started up to to solve you know problems that really exist especially in an operational level yeah, um, and it just it just I, seems to be in a you know a, a vector of direction of where things are going right now. I think it's more um, we're seeing what's happening. So venture capital in particular, there's a lot of money floating around, hmm. and there was definitely a fashion. I call a lot of these things fashion. You can call them trends. You can call them market opportunities. But I often think of them as a fashion. But about five years ago, there was a, a sustained phase for investors to put money into enterprise IT startups sort of maybe five to eight years ago, and we're just seeing a lot of them come to market now. And I mean, billions of, of dollars was poured into enterprise IT startups like Terraform, for example, and so forth. 
And, you know, loads of these new technology companies like identity management, like look at Okta and Duo Security and things like that. Um, and they were filling in gaps in the IT infrastructure that before would never have gotten anywhere. So people could see a need. And the difference now, I think, is um, that this this whole shift to software, not just in the infrastructure phase, but in that businesses need to adopt software at some level. So software-defined infrastructure is also matched by a shift to companies doing, for lack of a better word, digital transformation, which is fundamentally accepting that software makes their businesses more efficient. This, you know, business reporting, data analysis, smoothing out your sales operations instead of using a piece of paper and a Rolodex, you know, going to Salesforce, stuff like that. So I think, Mm -hmm. and, and then what we've been doing is more observing that and highlighting and and trying to make sense of it. So I think I would like to think that I am looking at these things and throwing out ideas. I try not to say which one is the best. I think everything's got some sort of solution. Some things aren't look kind of weird to me, so I'll express that opinion. Some things look like a good idea to me and I'll express that opinion, but I wouldn't like to pick winners because I think that's much more complex these days. What do you think, Ethan? I don't know. I'm in the same boat. I don't like to pick a particular winner because it doesn't work like that. There are different businesses with different problems to solve. And the solutions that we like to present on the podcast are are just that. Here's an option for you. I I like to phrase it, here's something worth considering for your proof of concept. You know, bring them in. This is a real deal vendor with a product that's worth looking at, evaluated against your specific business needs. Not, we compared the top five switches and here's the best one, go buy it. No, no, we don't play that game because that's that's not how it works. Yeah, I think that's much more of a sort of, there's a whole industry in YouTube (laughs) built (laughs) built around doing the comparison, you know, breakdowns and things like that. But I don't think that's particularly useful for because you're trying to you're trying to solve a given set of problems. You just don't know what the problem set is, I guess, for your listening audience. So you rather just explain the sets of solutions of what's available out there and let and let the audience sort of work their way through what the product can do or can't do. Yeah, I think and, I think podcasts help the audience hear about the design choices or the architectural or if you have these requirements, then these may be the choices you make. You could read a book from a manufacturer about config details. You could read an admin guide, a user guide on configuration, but which of those thousand options makes the best sense for you? Yeah, it's also a moving target. So you're, you know, the, the fact that it solves, you might find a, a collection of, of gear and operational practice that, that's backed up by that gear that, that works for your business requirements today. Mm-hmm. But the fact is that, you know, six months from now or 12 months from now or two years from now, it might look very, very different. And so you're really arming the listener with the ability to sort of infer, you know, where those solutions might need to go in that time frame to meet whatever that need is as it evolves. And so, you know, what might be a great buying decision today for a collection of, of equipment and an operational practice that goes along with that might be a terrible one for, you know, a, a year or two years from now, five years from now, but you're, you're hmm. really arming the listener with the ability to make those, those inferences and, and get there. So, or, or a product that is the right thing for a given business might not work for someone else. And the decision might not be a technical one as much as it is an operational one. Mm-hmm. One company might need uh, a particular API to integrate that equipment into their system. 
and someone else might not care about that. They're operationally, they may still, they may be doing very little automation or they just don't make that many changes. And so they're more interested in the CLI and how interesting it is or how easy it is to interact with that CLI. So it's, it would be crazy for us to, to, to go ranking and, you know, these kind of things. It really is about that exposure to ideas, exposure to vendors, exposure to products and what they can do, open up people's minds to what the possibilities are and then let them uh, drill in from there. Yeah, I, I find it fascinating because there is some philosophical difference about how you guys are podcasting for for what you're doing for heavy networking and for, you know, network break and, and other things versus like what the V6 Buzz is doing, which is really, we're talking about a protocol. It's like, there's not really a <laughs> product wrap around it or, you know, it's, it was a funny thing. I mean, when I first, when we first sort of sat down and pitched it with you guys and you're like, you want to talk about a protocol? Like, is there enough <laughs> things to talk about? Like, really? Like, that's yeah. pretty yeah. nerdy. You're going to be no, nothing but RFC hell. Like, you sure you guys really want to do that? <laughs> I heard the cautionary notes. Like, you guys put us on the community channel the first six times. You're like, they're never going to make it. They're not going to watch. <laughs> I was like, well, we do that because most people don't get, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, most yeah, people totally. don't get to 10 podcasts. Yeah, most people and, don't uh, the ten. They yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Psst, hey, uh, buddy. Psst, hey, buddy. You want to buy some IPv6? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, you want to buy some IPv4? Let me yeah. tell you that. And Scott's joke is like, if they, if we weren't if we weren't being sponsored or if we weren't being encouraged to do this, we'd just you know be at the bus stop talking to whoever was sitting there. Hundred percent. <laughs> hey, buddy. Hey, can can I talk? Can I interest you in talking about IPv6, our Lord and Savior? Is that? <laughs> <laughs> We pause the podcast to tell you about sponsor SixConnect. SixConnect's ProVision network provisioning platform is a collection of next-generation automation tools helping service providers and enterprises update how they do network provisioning. Working with bare metal, containers, on-prem, in the cloud, SixConnect ProVision can help. ProVision is modular and API-first, which, which means it's flexible. Ops folks can use ProVision to deliver whatever sort of provisioning platform they need to to make the business they support happy. Okay, I said modular, so let's talk about some of these ProVision modules. There is the Resource Manager. Track everything from cross-connects to customers in one place or simply tie into existing systems, including external authentication for low-effort automation. And then there's the IP Address Manager with full IPv4 and v6 support, handling everything from subnets to host, and it can even help you cope with duplicate and overlapping IP address space. The DNS controller supports several DNS platforms, and that gives you a single pane of glass for DNS provisioning, even if you deal with multiple DNS platforms at the same time. The ProVision DHCP controller integrates with several different DHCP platforms and services for hybrid deployments and handles multi-tenancy and detailed controls. And then there's the Peering Manager. That's a bridge for router configuration and email comms related to peering. It is integrated with PeeringDB, and that ensures that exchange information is consistent and that peering coordinators get a one-stop shop for BGP session management and human coordination without touching a command line. And you get the idea here. We're just scratching the surface to give you a taste of the network automation and provisioning platform you can build with 6Connect's ProVision. Would you like to know more? Well, of course you would, and you can do that at 6Connect.com packet. That is sixconnect with the number six dot com slash packet. Once more, for API first automated network provisioning that can bring together many different systems in your provisioning stack, sixconnect with the number six dot com slash packet. And now back to the podcast.
podcasting is unique in that the feedback we get from people in our audience who occasionally write to us is that it helps them think about things they don't know about or to get a vision on things that you haven't heard about or things that you know, like new technologies emerging in IPv6. Like we talk about the IPv6 extension header thing, right? If you didn't know that was happening, you just wouldn't know. And so that's what we're trying when I'm putting content together and working on the shows, I'm trying to help you with your professional career by giving you information that make you look smart in the meeting room so that you're sitting there in the CIO. This is my mental model. Everybody's got a different mental model. You're sitting there, the CIO's at the table. You've got all the heads of the department are there and they're talking about something and you pipe up and say, yeah, yeah, um, you know, we're looking at going into the multi-cloud and you pipe up and say, well, you know, multi-cloud networking is not particularly easy. We know that there are these challenges and that there's these, these products in the space. So we would have to start a project. If you've done nothing in multi-cloud, you've got nowhere to start. But if you've listened to podcasts about multi-cloud networking and talked about, you know, Packet Fabric and Alkira and, you know, F5 and all those companies that are in that MCNS space, then all of a sudden you've got a place to pipe up right at that critical point and look smart and intelligent and like you're a professional who really knows what they're doing. Yeah, it's it's having a pulse on the industry, having a pulse on the on the topics, and and having a at least a starting point to be able to go say like, hey, we should kick a project off, and I've got a short list of, of starting mm-hmm. points, and you may discover more, and that's completely fine, but it does give you that mm-hmm. seat at the table to say like, yeah, I mm-hmm. should take ownership of this project, and and I'd like to I'd like to uh, have some impact and influence on it, which hopefully impacts your career too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Otherwise, you just look like, well, I don't know. And then you think to yourself, well, how do I start? Uh, I'll search for multi-cloud networking, right? And you try and a lot easier if you sort of spend some time getting ahead of that, I think. I'd like to yeah. think so anyway. Yeah, I mean, it's been fantastic listening. I mean, I I listen to you guys' podcast in addition to, you know, us recording this one. I, I listen to heavy networking and day to cloud. And it's one of those things where it helps inform and put into context many of the discussions we have around V6 Buzz. And, uh, and it's one of the things I enjoy about podcasting and blogging is, is just being able to hear all the different sort of things that the vendors are up to and what they're doing and how they're tackling problems. Mm. It gives me better insight into how they're thinking about solving particular problems and how we can think about V6 and in different ways in terms of how that approaches uh, is, is sort of sort of taken on. I don't know. I mean, what do you guys actually, you've been doing it for long enough. Clearly, you guys actually enjoy podcasting and blogging and, and speaking and doing that. Otherwise, you're just just hate yourselves and you've been torturing yourselves for this long a period of time, which could be a possibility, but, but I, but I doubt it. I mean, what is it really that, that keys off for you that you really enjoy about podcasting and blogging and speaking and, and getting to talk to all these vendors? What, it, what is it? This clearly scratches some sort of itch for you. I suspect it's a little different between uh, Greg and I, cause we're different personalities, but you know, for me, it's the educational aspect. I like to share information, make it easy to consume, uh, help people understand some concept that might have seemed out there, couldn't get their heads around it, but now they can. And now they're armed with that information and they can go forth in their businesses and the, the different companies, that they, networks that they support and, uh, and, and be armed with knowledge that they didn't have before. My hope is at the end of a podcast, they learn something and uh, that I help them uh, figure that out. And uh, podcasting is what I do most of these days. I still, I've been doing more writing and blogging uh, this year, but I'd kind of, kind of let it go. It seemed like blogging was fading and no one was reading, but it's, it seems to have gotten a resurgence lately where more and more people want to read again. And I've been uh, trying to do more writing, uh, but it, it is that educational aspect, sharing something I was able to figure out by digging through docs or doing some lab work or whatever it is. And then, then sharing that info um, through the podcast. Um, podcasting specifically, 
there's an art to talking to people and getting information out of them. And that that's another thing I like doing is just asking the kind of questions that help a guest really express themselves and share their knowledge in a, in an effective way. Not, it doesn't, you think that it's just, we're just going to rock up and have a conversation. It's, it's easy. It, it isn't always easy. It really depends on the guest. We've had any number of guests. I don't know if you guys have experienced this, but before you hit the record button, you're having a great conversation. Everything's going amazingly well. And then you hit record and they just freeze up. They cannot yeah. communicate to save themselves. <laughs> We've and never had that. I don't host. know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> then now you've got to help them. You get that information out of there that's in there that they are so knowledgeable about. I, that, that's the aspect of it that's all uh, mm. good for me. Again, that, that educational aspect and, and just sharing information, helping people get out there the things that they know that would benefit others. Sometimes mm. there's the show after the show where you just keep talking because you're having so much fun and you're like, Man, we should, this could have been the yeah. next episode. Yeah, we should have recorded it. Yeah, I think I think for me it was the original reason I started blogging back in the late 2000s, like 2008 was when I really got serious about blogging, was to pass knowledge on to other people. At that time I was freelancing so I would never have anybody to mentor, so I could never help somebody else. And so blogging and podcasting came out of that extension of helping other people, sharing knowledge. That was back when I knew something. And as I get older, I get dumber. Does everybody get that feeling? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not admitting that on the record here. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, and so now it's more about a journey of discovery. So it's changed from me sharing what I know to other people to sort of sharing the journey of the discovery of what's new because things are coming so quickly now that I'm learning on the show. So we're often talking to vendors who are announcing yes. a product that's doing a thing. Like the biggest one at the moment is this, this integration of security and networking. So we're seeing in say the SD-WAN space, for example, that threat detection, in, uh, inspection engines, threat detection, analysis, malware detection, and all that sort of stuff is now welded into the router. What used to be a branch router that forwarded packets is now a multimodal, uh, packet inspection, firewall security, identity branch networking thing. And that um, that repackaging of a bunch of technologies away from five or 10 different devices into one service that goes off to the cloud, That's we're discovering that in real time compared to where we were. So now I'd like to think that it started off as a mentoring. And now for me, it's much more sharing the journey of discovery of what's new, what came around, why, what, what made them think, try and get out the why, why did vendors think about this? Because the vendors are often talking to customers who say, I want this, and then they react. Now, sometimes that reaction loop is long and slow and stupid, but that's, you know, <laughs> that's the nature of big companies. They are just big and slow, so... I thought the reason think, vendors were doing all these changes, Greg, was so that they could turn whatever it is into a subscription service. Isn't that, isn't that pretty much it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and I do think the audience appreciates that both of you guys have a, a certain amount of snark and cynicism that goes along with, with uh, you know, the, uh, you know, how can we funnel more cash in our pockets uh, strategy that many, many of the, well, many of the vendors and, uh, well, there have. Is, but, you have to have some entertainment, I think. You, know, you right. can't have these shows. You can't listen to hundreds of shows from the same speakers over and over without finding some entertainment or not being boring and tedious all the time you know if we were so ed let's move to the next question 
what do you, you know, <laughs> it's, it's like you, you need to come up with, um, you know, and, and the way that we do that, I don't know if you, you know, I mean, you'd know it, but the best way to improve your podcasting skill is to simply listen to yourself. So I still, to this day, listen back to shows that I'm on and, um, and I've now actually picked up some of the editing so that I can listen to myself talk and try and improve myself. It is not fun listening to yourself talk for hour after hour <laughs> after hour. <laughs> well, Tom did the reverse. Tom, Tom early on, just for everyone on the show, Tom did all the early edits for the shows. Uh, I, th I think you did the first 40 episodes or something. Yeah, right? 40 or 50, thing. something like that. Yeah. No, which is great. It's a, it's a great position to be in because I can edit out all of my dumb comments and leave, leave, <laughs> leave all, all of Ed's in there. I offer to edit those for you at a price. I didn't have enough money. Thanks to Tom, he edited out my comments so we could stay on the air. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where yeah. a few doesn't, uh, doesn't actually stand for follow-up. <laughs> but yes it's it's it is pretty humbling to listen to especially when you listen go back and listen to your early shows and you're like wow i really had no clue what i was doing and uh yeah yeah it's, it's like you go back and listen to somewhere in the 50 to 100 mark where you've just got into a into a groove and but we were talking about completely different topics back then everything was a lot it wasn't simpler i mean it was complicated back then but it seems so much simpler because we've got the years of of knowing what what came out of that i think nothing's I think, ever well i just get the impression that things are just the acceleration the velocity of change that's happening right now it just seems to be picking up faster and faster between the combination of cloud automation uh where all the vendors are going the the sets of technologies they're trying to in, uh, introduce and and there's a bit of a foot race going on about you know who's going to win in, in technology space and 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 I, I think it's going to be very interesting over the next few years uh, in terms of like how that's going to play out. I, I've never seen the field open up as much if you just look at silicon and you sort of see like what's happening and, and sort of, you know, before it was like, you know, well, it's Intel all the way and that's the only thing you're going to spend your time on. Mm. And just in the amount of information you need to know to make a good decision around silicon is like sort of staggering, right? I mean, I, I don't mm. think you ever really had to know that much information in that space before. I've learned a lot just listening to the shows for, you know, your comments, Greg, just sort of like, oh, well, you should pay attention to what someone's doing over here. And this is yeah. what this, these folks are doing. And this is what's going yeah. on. And I like so. to peer into the future and consider what the future looks like. Like right now we're seeing um, the supply chain. What does the supply chain look? You know, we're looking, most people are looking at 12 months lead time on products, uh, Wi-Fi, data center switching, when, you know, some things are okay, but the most of them are, and there's any number of potential things that could actually disrupt that. So right now, for example, we have problems in China related to COVID and the lockdown. And so the production in China and ships are sitting offshore, hundreds and hundreds of ships sitting offshore in Shanghai can't um, load because they won't let them. That's going to turn into a extension of the delay potentially in 12 months time. You know, what does it look right. like in six months when the lead times blow out or there's so many things and that's, that's part of it, you know, being able to predict that on a project, incredibly difficult. Yeah. yeah while we, you're waiting for your equipment to show up, why don't you work on an IPv6 design in the meantime? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> Cause we've talked about that, you know, yeah. what do you do? Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, we have, we have, uh, I mean, you know, in our, in our regular lives, we have several projects that are on delay, just waiting for product to show up. Mm -hmm. They're just, they're just sitting there and saying like, yeah, we can't do anything right now. We're just waiting for product to show up. We can't, we can't really 
you know, we can talk around the architecture, but that doesn't do us any good. We can't actually implement, mm-hmm. we can't operate yeah, at right. all. Yeah. So it's a pretty big impact. It's not, it's not trivial. And it, and it does impact the bottom line of everyone downstream. You don't have vendors that are working on this. You don't have people deploying equipment. You don't have people that are operating it day to day. And the business is seeing little to no value of, of, you know, the project just sitting there being idle. So it's, it's a lot of things that it impacts. Yeah. yeah. I had a project delayed because the equipment was stolen in transit. <laughs> it's like, it's going through the shipping process then it just disappears. <laughs> and now you got to replace the order. Start okay. all over again. Wow. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a uh, there's a lot. You'll have a lot of things like that. And then vendors will bump the order around to preferred clients or mm-hmm. clients who complain. Or And the worst part is when you're going like, you know, a million dollars worth of kit and 900,000 of it drops, but you can't start until everything's in the on the dock. And that's uh, so many buttons. in the controller. <laughs> yeah. or, the SF, or the SFPs. There's just no yeah. SFPs. You got everything else, but there's no mm-hmm. way to plug in anything. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. Too funny. Well, let's pivot a little bit, you guys. Let's, you know, it is the IPv6 Buzz podcast show. So we can, we can, we can maybe talk about V6 for a brief moment, but we're, we're at the, what is it? Uh, 10 year anniversary for world IPv6 launch. Uh, it's, it's sort of a, it's, it's, I don't know if it's a big event. I don't know you guys, what do you, what's your feelings about, about sort of V6? Cause we feel like that's sort of the inflection point for the industry was, was when we all decided that we were actually going to do something with V6 was world V6 launch. So it's been 10 years of investment. The numbers don't look too too bad in terms of overall adoption for V6. And it definitely feels like there's a change in terms of, you know, federal, the U.S. federal government has a, you know, White House OMB mandate that's pushing a lot of the federal organizations to do V6 only. Uh, there's uh, initiatives in China and, and in India that are that are similar in type, maybe not directly from government, but, but in other ways. Mm. Uh, so there's the, I, I feel like the worldwide stage is, is sort of changing a little around, uh, around V6. And I don't know if you guys had any thoughts or have you under, actually even heard anything amongst yourselves or you just take the V6 is sort of happening steadily in the background. And that's, that's sort of the, the, you know, default position now. Uh, I feel like I'm, I'm of two minds here and I feel like a lot of the growth we've seen in V6 feels to me, could tell me if I'm wrong, but it feels to me like it's coming from the mobile carriers. That is when we're mm-hmm. seeing the 50% of the traffic or whatever it is, is, uh, is yeah, that's the Reliance geos in in India, like that's 62% or something like that for, for India. I mean, like India, you know, overnight went from, you know, what 10% up to like 60% in a pretty rapid order because of Reliance geo and what they did. Yeah. But I, I feel like it's mobile that's driving a lot of that growth that we're seeing. And, but on the enterprise side, it's still a slog, still very slow. There's, if you have a, a quad A record out there that can hit your public facing stuff, you're, you're like ahead of probably the average enterprise in a lot of cases. So it does feel sluggish. Um, part of that, like I'm, I'm a spectrum user uh, for residential service. Can't get V6. It's not there. It's not an option. I've been poking around at their site to see, gee, if I got a business uh, service, could I get V6 on that? And what would that look like? Um, so there, I feel like there's these two worlds where, yes, we've got massive adoption from the companies who you'd expect to need it, the, the carriers who are mm-hmm. desperately in need of that space and have figured out how to make V6 work and, and we can just kind of go. Um, you've got some technologies that are leaning into V6 more like uh, segment routing, but that's pretty niche. Not a lot of people need segment routing as such. Right. Um, it's solving a specific problem, but there has been a lot of technological development and buzz around uh, SRV6. 
Uh, but then if you look at the average you know, enterprise uh, adopter, they're not talking about it much. It's not a problem. Mm. They've got other problems to solve. They're still short-staffed and converting over to V6 isn't a big driver for them. So there is yeah. some more uptake, but not not as much as I would have hoped considering you know we're, we're 10 years on from the world IPv6 launch. Mm. I'm, I'm pretty much the same with Ethan. I think there's a few, I'll add a few things. One is for a lot of enterprises, their public connections are the only things that need IP addresses. And if you've got a static allocation from 10 years ago, you probably got 256, 512, 1,000 addresses. And you probably don't, you've probably got plenty to spare. So in terms of, you know, taking your internet gateway and IPv6 enabling it, you would want to, but you don't have to rush into it in that sense. Um, However, on the other side, I note that the public clouds have finally embraced IPv6. So we've seen AWS and Azure and Google put IPv6 support in in the last 12 to 24 months, which was something that was a bit behind the curve. And I've just been looking at some IPv4 stats today, how much is available if you wanted to go and buy some, if you're that type of person. And there's really not many addresses left in the market that you could either buy or lease. So if you wanted to hire rent them that we're literally running out of IP addresses even, and the prices have stabilized. So they're about, you know, 70 cents to a dollar per IPv4 address that you want to buy. So I think it's going to continue to be gradual, but probably the main thing is that the telcos are now getting IPv6 down in the WAN, in the, in the public WAN, the internet, and then in, in their networks right out to the edge. So when your internet connections, and once that's there, then the pressure starts to come on people to switch over to IPv6 in the home and in the office. Yeah. And just a quick, uh, um, I, I, maybe it's a, just a misread on the, on the pricing, but the pricing we're seeing for public V4 address space, at least on the open market for auction bid is somewhere between 55 and $60 an IP yeah. address. Mm. Uh, is, is, a, is a standard rate that we're sort of that's seeing. for ownership um, not for leasing yeah that yeah, for ownership yeah mm. that's right um yeah i mean it's 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 definitely it's interesting we we I mean, for our day jobs we get a unique uh, sort of a view into it but we have a tendency to work with sort of the fortune 1000 which mm. i think is different than maybe some of the enterprise space the more mass fill enterprise space and 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 honestly it's probably more the fortune 150 and the, and the Fortune 150 are all <laughs> trying to figure this out because of because of mandates, because of a bunch of other things that are going on for them. And structurally, they're just run differently as companies. I think and scale uh, scale is the is the big issue for for them. You know, when you're dealing with some of the largest retailers in the world. There's not enough V4 to operate <laughs> the stuff that they need to do, and so mm -hmm. they have different structural problems that they're they're trying to solve. And I think uh, V6 fits into that space uh, relatively well. I think the challenge is going to be for how do the how do the vendors allow everyone else to adopt V6 with a low pain threshold? So I think mm -hmm. shops uh, that are solving this that are you know that, that have potential to solve this for everyone. Uh, in a more elegant way are folks like maybe like a Meraki or, or Mist mm. or others yeah. that can just set these things up and say like, hey, we're going to do the right thing for you from a V6 config basis. Mm -hmm. So we see that V6 is available. We're going to just go ahead and set it up and, and yeah. you're not going to have to SD think WAN. about it. Yeah. So SD-WAN is the biggest, uh, going to see the biggest uptick because adding IPv6 
to an SD-WAN is almost a transparent process. The controller just works it out. Yeah. And yeah you don't need that's... to know. And if you need to connect from an IPv6 to an IPv4, the SD-WAN tools tend to solve that for you. Not all of them. Some of the vendors are very sort of legacy-minded, but some of the modern ones are just say, oh, you want to connect this to this, then it'll work out IPv4, IPv6. And if you need a gateway, they'll put one in, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, and I think that'll be true with the public clouds too. I think the public clouds are going to be super interested in enterprises getting over because that means that they don't have to be burning money on just this logical abstraction of a V4 address space that they have to go obtain. Mm. They can have as much V6 as they want. They can go out and deploy as much as they want. And they're really just, you know, they're only yeah. paying, a, you know. And the price of NAT gateways and like AWS is at NAT gateways famously expensive. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and they are basically saying to customers, I don't, don't see that use changing. IPv4. Yeah. I don't see that changing even if they go to V6. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's a moneymaker. <laughs> yeah. I don't yeah. see that changing. But in theory, if customers were using IPv6, they wouldn't be paying for IPv6 for the NAT gateway function. And, you know, there's savings to be made. So there are incentives. It's just yeah. whether people know about them or pick them up. So. Yeah, exactly. 100%. All right. Well, that I don't think that's too far off from from where our feelings are, time. I'm Scott, Tom, I don't know if you feel any differently, but uh, but I feel like uh, that's that's not too bad of a pulse about where things are at right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree, and I think this is something that that I've been anticipating for a long time, which is that these the vendors and and maybe this happens in cloud sooner than it happens with uh, you know with hardware and so hardware and software vendors that are focused on on premise, but having to pay a premium for IPv4, I think you guys just sort of hinted at that, like there's a service that's available and, and we've made it available over IPv6 and IPv4 and uh, this, you know, in the cloud space say, and uh, you know, you can continue to use the IPv4 service, but it's, it's become sort of the legacy protocol for us. It's more expensive for us to manage it. We're going to cost, we're going to pass that cost on to you. So, you know, but that, that cost would go away if you were using IPv6. Um, so, you know, sort of anticipated this on the, on the, the hardware and software side of things, having to maintain V4 and V6 in the stack and how expensive that is and figuring out, well, if we just move to V6 only, then that, that expense goes away. So, you know, there's some push and pull there. I, I it's not, it, it, it's, it's an idea and I, I don't know that, that, that we'll see, you know, I, I don't know if that I've seen examples that I can just point to and say, this is, this is where this has happened. Um, but, but it's always something that, that. I feel obligated to sort of warn uh, the, the enterprise folks that are planning the next five to 10 years. It's like this, this could be a thing and you could end up just mm. paying more for whatever the V4 component it happens to be. Um, you know, we're not quite there yet, but that's probably where we're headed. Yeah. On the horizon. Well, I mean, it's uh, the good news about that is because there's, there still needs to be so much work done. We're still going to have more shows. As we move towards more native uh, adoption yeah. and as we try and work our way through the enterprise space. So that's probably what the majority of the shows are going to be going forward is, is really talking through what that's, what that's going to look like. So, Hey, mm -hmm. you guys are stuck with us for a little while longer. <laughs> <laughs> well, people, people clearly want you, want you to be around. So there you go. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, unlike V6, we run out of space for the podcast. Uh, thanks to today's guests, Greg Farrow, Ethan Banks. How can the audience follow you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter as at EtherealMind, which is the handle I've been using for 15 years now. Uh, and always, and if you've got any questions or any follow-up you want to send us, go over to packetpushes.net slash FU and uh, let us know what you're thinking. We'd love to hear more about what you're, what you're doing. And, and if you've got questions and ideas, then we'll do our best to bring them on board. If you head over to ethancbanks.com, you can figure out the rest from there. LinkedIn, Twitter, and all the rest. That's my blog and uh, anything you might want to know, ethancbanks.com. Yeah, thanks so much, both of you. Really appreciate you being on our 100th show. 
it's a little yeah, bit congratulations that's a big deal like i said mm-hmm. you know like you're you're automatically in the top three percent of podcasts in the world right now <laughs> so not just in size but you know persistence and and getting shows out and, and all that so it's great mm-hmm. yeah that's awesome if, if it's one thing ipv6 folks are good at it's being uh, patient <laughs> <laughs> This is going to be the year. It's this year for sure. Any day 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 now. We said that that 10 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you can reach the IPv6 Buzz podcast on Twitter. We're at IPv6 Buzz. You can also hit up each one of us on Twitter too. Uh, Tom is at IPv6 Tom. Scott is at Scott Hogan. I'm at E. Horley. Thanks for listening to the IPv6 Buzz. You can find us on the Packet Pushers or any of your favorite podcast apps. Just search for IPv6 Buzz. And if you like the show, please give us a rating on iTunes. Uh, if you like this podcast, we really recommend you check out Heavy Networking, Day 2 Cloud, Network Break Podcast, plus all the other great technical content over at PacketPushers.net. So long and until next time, we'll see you on the internet. The IPv6 internet, that is. Thanks for listening to IPv6 Buzz, a podcast devoted to truth, justice, and 128 bits of address space. IPv6.